Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. This is the very word of God. Well, good morning. It's good to be here with you this morning. I am appreciative of your church. We, we are a similar church to Crosstown, and we're, we're literally like a mile and a half away. And so we, we like to have churches who are like-minded, who, um, who are laboring in the community that we're laboring in, trying to see our, the people around us transformed by the gospel. So I'm excited to be here. And you know, when you, when you speak at another church, it's, it's an interesting thing because normally you're used to preaching through a book of the Bible or you're in the middle of a series and you have kind of this targeted um, message you're, you're speaking through week after week. And when you speak at somebody else's church, you just kind of have like a one-off and, uh, and that's unique. And so I just want to use this time to really um, exhort you. I want to encourage you and challenge you from God's word. I, I do have three boys. They are nine, seven, and five. And if you have kids, you'll, you'll, you'll understand this story. And all of us were kids, and so this may have been how you were as a kid as well. But uh, we, we often go through this routine where we make this big, nice meal. And we want to sit down together as a family and eat this meal. There's a uh, we, we've made like a roast with a bunch of different vegetables, some homemade bread. You know, we've really put all our effort into it. And my wife and I are eating and talking with the kids. And we, our plates are finishing up. And the boys have eaten like three bites. You know, they've maybe eaten their bread and nothing else. And so we have this conversation of, boys, you need to eat your food. And then it's like, well, we're not hungry anymore. It's like, how are you not hungry? You haven't eaten anything. So we, you know, we had the conversation, well, if you don't eat, you don't get anything else. And like, well, we're not hungry. We don't want anything else. So then we, we just kind of let that be. We, we leave the table. And then inevitably, 30 minutes later, what's for dessert? What are we eating for dessert? You guys know this story, right? And, and then it's like, well, you don't get dessert. You didn't eat. Well, we want dessert. And, and I, I, that happens quite often at our, our house. We're a big dessert family. I, I think there should be ice cream at least three nights a week. Right? Amen. Come on. Thank you. But um, I think of that because I want to talk to you today about really our spiritual appetites. And I think oftentimes we are like uh, my kids in our eating habits spiritually in that we settle for things that are less than nourishing. When, when we have the opportunity to have this meal placed before us, we can feast on the Lord, we can enjoy him, oftentimes we settle for things that are less 
than nourishing. So before we get into our text, I just want to kind of bring you up to speed on what's happening in the context here. Right before the verses that were read, Jesus has just fed uh, roughly 20,000 people. And remember there is um, five loaves of bread, two fish, and he multiplies it into where everybody is fed and they have their fill. There's like 12 baskets full left over. And so Jesus performs this miracle. He's teaching. And then he sends his disciples across the lake. And so they go across the lake. And on the way, Jesus begins to walk on the water next to them. There's that whole story about Jesus walking on the water. And then they make their way to the other side and all the people are looking for Jesus. They realize he's no longer on the mountainside. He's gone to the other side of the lake. So they go over there as well. They want to follow Jesus. And essentially the story says that um, they wanted Jesus because of what he was giving them. He had just performed this miracle. They, they wanted their fill. And Jesus kind of gets on to them because he wants them to want him. But instead they just want to see more of what he can provide for them. So Jesus tells them that they needed to just believe in him. That's what they needed. They needed to believe in him. And so they asked for a sign, which is incredible because he just fed them from this like five loaves of bread and two fish. 20,000 people roughly were fed and they're still asking for a sign. And they, they referred to because God had once provided manna from heaven to satisfy the Israelites in the wilderness. So Jesus replies to them by saying, well, the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And so they replied, okay, well, we want that kind of bread. That's what we want. And that's the context for, for the verses that were read. And I'll read them again. So that's what they say. They say to him, sir, give us this bread always. So Jesus replies to them and says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So here's kind of the, the main idea I want to leave with you this morning. Spiritually speaking, only hungry people will no longer be hungry. Only hungry people will no longer be hungry. And that doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense on the surface, but I think that's what Jesus is essentially getting at from these verses. He's basically saying, I am the one who can satisfy you. And when you come to me, you will no longer be hungry or searching for other things to find your satisfaction in. And he goes on to repeat this multiple times in these verses. And I want to read the next 10 verses as well. So he says this, And the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? And Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. 
Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. But this is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. So once again, he tells them that he is the bread of life. And he refers back to what they had claimed, that yes, manna did come down from heaven, but the true bread is he who comes down from the Father. And he's basically saying, that's me. I am the living bread of life that can satisfy you. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And so I think Jesus is clearly making this statement that he is God and he has come down to earth to satisfy the hunger of those who are hungry. So Jesus is saying that hungry people will no longer be hungry because they will be filled up in him. They will find their satisfaction in him. He will satisfy their cravings and their longings. But here's the point I want to talk about and exhort you in. The only ones who would genuinely receive his satisfaction that he has to offer are those who are actually hungry for it. Those who will receive the offer that he has to offer are those who are hungry for it. And there's this implication in his words that those who come to him are those who are hungry and thirsty and searching and longing. And those who would receive their fill were those who knew they needed to be filled and desperately sought it out and found it in him. The casual observer is not going to experience the satisfaction that Jesus has to offer. The casual observer, the casual attender, the casual pursuit is not going to experience the fullness of the satisfaction that Jesus has to offer us. Because the Jews were these people. They were following him. They saw what he was doing. But they weren't finding their satisfaction in him. They weren't really coming to him for him. They were coming to just get what they wanted, their provisions. So what does this story have to do with you and I today? If I honestly evaluate the state of the church in the current cultural moment that we live in, specifically, let's even say, in the Bible Belt, in Oklahoma City, when we evaluate the state of the church, I think there's a question we have to ask ourselves and just ask our brothers and sisters just generally, the capital C church is, would you say that at large, the church is hungry for Jesus? Would you say that the capital C church, who we identify ourselves with, God's people, are we longing for Jesus? Are we hungry? Are we seeking to be satisfied in him? I think that's something we really need to wrestle with, especially in the, the society and the cultural climate we find ourselves in. Are we, as God's people, finding our satisfaction in God himself, or are we searching to be nourished in other ways? I think there's a, an unfortunate reality that far too often God's people are trying to find their satisfaction in life in other ways by other means. 
And so we're seeking nourishment in things that won't actually nourish us. And I think this is sad because I think so often we separate out our spiritual lives from everything else that's going on. And so when it comes to Jesus and longing for him on Sundays, we're all about that. Maybe when we have community group, we're all about that. But when we go to work or we're in the throes of life, we kind of lose sight of those things. And so not just the church at large, but you yourself, I would ask you this question. Are you hungry for Jesus? Are you longing for more of him? Are you desperate for him? And this is something I think we have to examine about ourselves. You know, Jesus gave a parable about examining ourselves, and it's, it's a parable that can be very convicting, and it's one we need to wrestle with. And I'll just read it to you. Jesus says this, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up. But since they had no depth of soil, when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. And other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. He who has ears let him hear. So Jesus gives this parable about examining what kind of soil are we? What kind of soil were the people who were listening to what he was saying? And, and so he says there's seeds that fell along the path. The birds came and plucked it up. And he goes on to explain, these are people who hear and don't understand. And the evil one comes and snatches it away. So then there's seed that falls on the rocky ground. There's not much soil. There's no depth. The sun comes up and scorches it, and they wither away. And he says, this is the one who, when hardships come, they fall away. He says, there's seeds that come up among the thorns. The thorns choke them out. And he says, these are people who give in to the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches, and they choke out the word, and it proves to be unfaithful. But then he says, there's some seed that falls on good soil and produces fruit. And this is the one who hears the word, understands it, and applies it, and bears much fruit. So Jesus himself gives this example of evaluating what kind of soil are we. And, and as God's people, we, we long to be, and we are, this fourth soil. The soil that is fertile, that, that longs for the Lord and seeks to produce fruit. And I think that's something you and I all have to examine is, is in our hearts and our lives, are we, are we tending to be this fertile soil, living not for our own glory, but for his glory. We want to be that good soil type of people, soil that produces fruit. And that doesn't mean we have to be just leading hundreds of people to the Lord. It means we need to be living for his glory increasingly more and more every day, letting him move in and through us. And I would just say, if we aren't hungry for Jesus, should we, I'll ask this question, if we're not hungry for Jesus, should we expect to see or experience more of him in our lives? I think that's something we should wrestle with. If I'm not longing for him, if I'm not seeking him, if I'm not living a life pursuing him, should I expect more? We can't just live our lives in such a way that we expect him to fit in amongst the rest of what we have going on. Jesus wants to be the center, our lives revolving around him, not just one thing amongst others. He expects us to lay down our lives and give him first 
priority. But as you guys know, everything within us and our flesh, everything in our culture and society pushes us in the opposite direction. Everything pushes us to prioritize me above else, above all else. Prioritize me and what's going on in my life, seeking to satisfy myself. That's what my flesh says to do. That's what the world says to do. I heard this story. You may have heard this story. An elderly lady was leaving the grocery store, and she's walking to her car. And when she approaches her car, there's four men sitting in it. And this makes her nervous. She thinks she's getting carjacked. And so she, she is an elderly lady who, who owns a gun and carries it with her. So she pulls it out and she points it at him and says, you need to get out of my car. The guys are freaked out. I mean, this elderly lady is like pointing this gun. They're freaked out. So they get out of the car. They take off running. And she gets in the car. She gets her keys out and she puts it in the ignition and she turns it and it won't start. She's not sure what's going on. She tries it again and it won't start. So she gets out, looks at the car, and realizes a couple cars over is her car. And she had just forced these men out of their own car. She felt so bad about it, she, she decided she needs to go to the police station and tell the police what she had done. So she pulls in, she parks, and when she walks into the police station, there are those four guys reporting an elderly lady who was attempting to carjack them. And they reconciled. And I like that story because I think it points to this reality that oftentimes we think things are our own when they actually don't belong to us. I think we do this about our lives, even as Christians. Oftentimes we think my life is up to me and doing what I think is best. My life belongs to me when Jesus is the one who our lives belong to. And so we are to lay down our lives in this pursuit of him, this longing for him, this hunger and thirst for him. And when we do hunger for him, what his word says is he will satisfy our hunger. So I want to look at the rest of this, these verses and say, but how does he do so? Okay, you're telling us we need to hunger for him because he will satisfy. How does Jesus satisfy us. Let's keep reading, starting in verse 52. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. Now, when many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, they said to them, he said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. 
The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. And after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. This is a fascinating story that's happening here. Jesus says all these things. He's trying to show them that he is the one they need. And so he uses this terminology as you need to essentially feast on me. How are you gonna find satisfaction? By, he says, eating my flesh and drinking my blood. And understandably so, they were like, what is this? This is hard to understand what you're saying. And Jesus was clearly referring to himself and his life being laid down on their behalf and them trusting and believing in this. And this is what satisfies us. What satisfies us as we hunger for Jesus is Jesus and what, who he is and what he did for us in the gospel. Like he laid down his life to satisfy us so that we would have life. That's what he means by laying down his, eating his body and drinking his blood. He gave his life on our behalf so that you and I, by trusting in him, would have life, would have true life, and would find ultimate satisfaction in what it means to be humans. To find flourishing is to find our life in him, to find our hope in him. This is the spiritual language that he was referring to the fact that he gave up his perfect life, laying it down on the cross in order to usher in the unstoppable force of the kingdom of God by which all who've placed their faith in him will be a citizen of. In so being a citizen there, we have forgiveness of our sins. We have his righteousness dwelling within us and we receive a new Eternal life that starts right now as a part of God's kingdom and we will forever be in it with him as his spirit dwells within us, empowering us. This is how you and I receive our fill. We are satisfied in who he is and what he's done. You are enough. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are enough. You don't have to accomplish anything else. You're not identified by what you do. Jesus has made you his own, and that is enough. That is your fill, that is your satisfaction. When you're hungry and thirsty, that is what you need. It's Jesus himself and what he's accomplished through his life, death, and resurrection. So, what do we do then? If this is what we need is to be hungry, and this is how we find our satisfaction in Jesus and what he's done for us and who he is. What do you and I do? If it's not about what we do, it's about what he's done. That's our satisfaction. So what does it mean that we do? I think this is a hard thing to wrestle with. So much so that his disciples, many of them who had followed him, turned away and said, this is, this is too much. They stopped walking with him after he said these things. And I think there's a subtle temptation for all of us, when you hear what I'm saying, to think that you just need to try hard to hunger. You just need to figure out how you're going 
to hunger so that then you can get more. And that's not what I'm saying. But it is something that you're probably tempted with, not just thinking about now, but tomorrow when you're actually living your life. Thinking that there's something you can do or gain, something you can create within yourself to hunger a little more. Maybe you just need to be a little bit more disciplined, work this up in yourself, and I'm not saying that. The answer for you and I is not to try hard to be hungry. The answer is not to get your life in order so that you're at a place where you can be hungry. The answer is not to fit more and more duties into your schedule to make yourself hungry for the Lord. I don't have a five-step plan to make you hungry. All of us are coming from different places, and the things that drain you, the things that pull you away from following the Lord are different than the things that drain me and pull me away from the Lord. And this is a hard thing for us to snap out of, even as followers of Jesus. You know this to be true in your life. It is hard this time on Tuesday to be hungry for the Lord. Or this time, or Thursday night at six o'clock, when you're going through dinner and bedtime routines, it is hard in these moments to stay hungry for the Lord. So how do we do and what do we do? In this same conversation, I think Jesus said something that is really helpful. Did you notice what he said? Do you take offense at this? Then he goes on in verse 63 to say this. It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh, our flesh, is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there's some of you who do not believe. I want to encourage you this morning. You don't have to strive to be hungry. You don't have to work up this in yourself and carry a burden to do so. Here's what I do know to tell you. It's the Spirit who gives you life. The flesh is no help at all, but it's the words of Jesus that are spirit and life. Jesus invites you and I to believe in him. To, to trust him and what he is saying here, that the Holy Spirit of God and the word of God in our lives can reignite the hunger that's within us. Because I know the reality is for some of you, you're here and you're saying, that's not me. I, I trust in Jesus as my, for my salvation. I'm a Christian. I'm his follower. But it right now in my life is not a place where I would say I am hungry. I know there's many of you in the room because that is the reality that many of us walk through. And what you need is to trust Jesus, to rest in him, to believe in what he can do in your life. It's the spirit of God who gives you life, not your efforts. It's the spirit of God who gives you life. In the same manner that Jesus said no one can come to him, in these verses, in the same manner that Jesus said no one can come to him unless the Father draws him, that's true of what we're talking about today as well. We cannot hunger for him unless his Holy Spirit does that in us. And the good news is, is that when the Holy Spirit does that in you and in me, when he draws us to this place of hungering for him, we know that he will then satisfy us. When we are hungry, Jesus satisfies. He will give us life. 
He will never lose us out of his hands. He will raise us up on the last day. We will be resurrected with Jesus, and this gives our lives meaning and purpose as we continue the work now of extending and advancing the kingdom of God in our community and across the world. That's the assurance that his satisfaction will last forever. But the only way we get to experience this satisfaction is when we hunger for him. There's a story of a man named Jeremiah Lanfier. You may have heard of him. Uh, the story gets told often about him. It was 1857, and a lot of decline was happening all over our country. Spiritual decline, economic decline, political decline. So this small church had a guy that they tasked to come in and try to change some things. And so what he decided to do was he was going to start a time of prayer at noon in the city. So he had planned it. He had sent out some, you know, tried to raise some awareness of it. He was going to start a prayer meeting at noon, uh, one day a week. He advertised this, and he opened up the doors, and he didn't know what to expect, and six people showed up. Six people showed up to pray on this first day that he opened up the door to pray. So they prayed together. And so he did it again the next week, and he asked for more. And he did it again the next week, and he asked for more. And the third week, he had 40 people showing up to pray at noon, asking the Lord to, to do a work. They were just longing for, for more of God's presence. They were longing for a work of the Lord in their city. And so 40 people started showing up. And they decided after this third week, they needed to start meeting daily. They need to start meeting every day to pray together at noon for the Lord to break in. They recognized their own inability. They were hungry for the Lord to do more. And so they started praying every day. And a few days later, the stock market crashes. And within six months, 10,000 people were gathering daily for prayer in the city because they were hungry for the Lord to move. One small church had one guy tasked, hey, we need your help. And so he opened up the doors just to pray, to hunger for the Lord, and that began this movement where 10,000 people were daily praying for the Lord to move. I tell that story because I really believe the Lord can do anything. I try to tell our church that we need to ask more of God because he is able. God can do anything in your life. He can do anything in this church. He can do anything in our city. Like he is able to do so. He can satisfy all of your longings. He can meet all of your needs. Like He is what you need. But you can't make this happen. I can't make this happen. We need God. We need the Spirit of God to create a deep hunger for Him within us. So I asked the question, what do we do? And I didn't give an answer. <laughs> so I want to give you like two handles for what you can do. Because I'm saying we can't do anything. Only the Spirit of God can do it within us. But really what I want you to do is believe the Spirit of God can do it. So what then do we do? The first is this. I think we just need to ask the Lord to make us hungry. Ask the Lord in your life 
to create a hunger deep inside of you for him, to refresh that first love. Ask the Lord to create a hunger inside of you for more of him, and then believe that he wants to do this in you. He's said this in these verses we said. He will do this as we hunger for him. He will do this in us. So we need to ask him to create a hunger within us and then believe that he will do this in you by his spirit and by his word. We need to ask him to help us hunger. This happens right now as we're worshiping. What we are together doing right now is coming to the Lord, worshiping him and asking that he would create this longing for him that continues, not just in these two hours that we worship together, but when we go home, when we're with our kids tonight, when we wake up and go to our job tomorrow morning, when we go throughout our activities throughout this week, we are asking him to create within us this longing for more of him. That's the first this asking and longing and, and expecting for God to move in our lives daily. The second is then, I think there needs to be this time where we ask with belief and then just surrender to him afresh. We just say, Lord, you do whatever you wanna do. As I ask you to create a hunger within me, my life is yours. Whatever this looks like for me, do it within me. Whatever you wanna, you wanna do in my life, do it. Whatever this means for, maybe I need to change some things, how I approach my job, how I relate to the people at my work, how I relate to, the, to my neighbors. Whatever it is, Lord, I surrender to you afresh. And part of surrendering to him is we need to repent of the ways in which we hold on to things. I think often the church finds itself with issues because we like to be in control. We like to be in control of what happens in our own lives. God, you've got my salvation, I've got my daily walk. God, you've got my family in your hands, but these relationships at my work, I don't wanna be weird. I think what we have to do is repent and say, Lord, I give you control of my life. The ways I'm seeking comfort, the ways I'm seeking security on my own, I surrender those to you. Like, I want whatever you want to do in my life to happen. I want you by your spirit and by your word to create a hunger for me that extends beyond just when I gather with God's people, but extends to my daily life. That is what I'm challenging you and encouraging you with this morning. We need to be a people who long for the Lord, to hunger after Jesus. Because, I believe Jesus is saying this, only hungry people will no longer be hungry. When we hunger for him, we will find our satisfaction in him. And here's the thing, our community needs this. They need God's people to be hungry for God. Your neighbors need you to long for Jesus in your life and then in your community. Our city needs the church to want Jesus to be king so that others can worship him as king. Our surrounding community, this community that we live and work and worship in, need Crosstown Church and Christ Central Church to be filled with people who want Jesus. Jesus. 
in their lives. Not just to save us from our sins, but to radically change us and make us more into the image of his son and to send us out to those he has called us to. To love the people around us with the love of Christ. And to do so, we need to be a people who hunger after him. And to hunger after him, we need to be a people who, who express our need for him to help us be hungry. He will help us be hungry and he will satisfy our hunger pains. Only hungry people will no longer be hungry. And so my question for you and my encouragement to you and my challenge for you is to answer this question. Are you hungry for Jesus? Let's pray. Father, I... I just want to come before you now. Lord, thanking you that you have given us all that we need. You've given us yourself. You've, you've given us your life, which is the bread that satisfies our longings. Lord, that we can feast upon you and find our hunger pains met. And so, Lord, I just want to ask you this morning, Lord, that for those of us in this room who would say, honestly, for a long time, we have not been hungry for the Lord. For a long time, it's felt like just dry. For a long time, I've been apathetic. For a long time, I've let other things get in the way. For a long time, I've chosen comfort or security. For a long time, I've satisfied myself. Lord, number one, would you forgive us? And then, Lord, would you help us? Would you help us by the power of the Spirit and the, by the power of your word to reignite within us this hunger and thirst for you. Lord, your word goes on to say, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And whoever believes in me, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Lord, would you make us a people who are hungry and thirsty, and in our hunger and thirst, would we come to you and drink and eat? Because that's what you, the invitation that you've offered to us. And so Jesus, would you do this in us? Our flesh, we acknowledge, is no help at all in this. We can't work this up in ourselves. So Lord, for those of us who have been dry, would you create hunger within us? And then Lord, for, for those of us who are hungry right now, would you sustain that hunger? Because we know, Lord, that you will satisfy. You have satisfied us, you are satisfying us, and you will continue to satisfy us the rest of our lives. Lord, I just pray for Crosstown Church. Lord, would this church be full of people who want you, Jesus, who want you to rule and reign in their lives and in this community. I pray that for my life. Pray that for this church. And Lord, would you take our humble efforts, our humble 
longings. And would you do a work that only you can do in us and through us. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.